Welcome to Trifecta Now podcast. This is a online book club for A Course in Miracles. We are in episode 10, chapter 10, The Idols of Sickness. You can find this on page 181 of the original text. The introduction, first going to start with saying nothing is beyond you, nothing. This book has repeatedly said that time is of our making, that we live in eternity that has no need or use of time. It's our perception and ego that has made time real for us. Factors outside of ourselves have zero influence or effects on us unless we choose to let them. Your holy mind establishes everything that happens to you. Every response you make to everything you perceive is up to you because your mind determines your perception of it. So the introduction, uh, paragraph one says, nothing beyond yourself can make you fearful or loving because nothing is beyond you. Time and eternity are both in your mind and will conflict until you perceive time solely as a means to regain eternity. You cannot do this as long as you believe that anything happening to you is caused by factors outside yourself. You must learn that time is solely at your disposal and that nothing in the world can make this responsibility, take this responsibility from you. You can violate God's laws in your imagination, but you cannot escape them. They were established for your protection and are inviolated as your safety. Paragraph two, sentence six says, your holy mind establishes everything that happens to you. Every response you make to everything you perceive is up to you because your mind determines your perception of it. Paragraph three, sentence seven says, nothing can reach you from beyond it because being in God, you encompass everything. Sentence nine says, when anything threatens your peace of mind, ask yourself, has God changed his mind about me? Sentence 11 at the bottom says, God will never decide against you or he would be deciding against himself. Next page, which is page 182. It's at home in God. So I wrote the law of creation says that you love your creations as yourself because you are, they are part of you. Therefore, God can never attack or condemn his children. We are part of him as he is part of us. Everything that he created is perfectly safe because we are protected by his love. We will remember everything the minute we desire it wholly. And by wholly, I mean as part of the whole. So paragraph one, sentence three says, the law of creation is that you love your creations as yourself because they are part of you. Paragraph two says, you are at home in God, dreaming of exile, but perfectly capable of awakening to reality. It is your decision to do so. You recognize from your own experience that what you see in dreams you think is real while you are asleep. Yet the instant you awaken, you realize that everything that seemed to happen in the dream did not happen at all. You do not think this strange, even though all the laws of what you awaken to were violated while you slept. It is not possible that you merely shifted from one dream to another without really awakening. Paragraph three, sentence two says, you do not remember being awake. Sentence five in that same paragraph says, what is possible has not yet been accomplished. Yet what has once been is so now, if it is eternal. 
When you remember, you will know that what you remember is eternal and therefore is now. The next section is called the decision to forget. I wrote, we are fearful because we have forgotten who we really are and what our true function is. Just because we have forgotten does not mean the truth has left us. It is still and always within us. Paragraph one at the top of page 183 says, unless you first know something, you cannot disassociate it. Knowledge must precede disassociation. So that disassociation is nothing more than a decision to forget. What has been forgotten then appears to be fearful, but only because the disassociation is an attack on truth. Paragraph two, sentence three says, offer the Holy Spirit only your willingness to remember, for he retains the knowledge of God and of yourself for you, waiting for your acceptance. Give up gladly everything that would stand in the way of your remembering, for God is in your memory. Paragraph three says, to remember is merely to restore to your mind what is already there. Paragraph five at the very bottom says, all attack is self-attack. It cannot be anything else. Arising from your own decision not to be what you are. It is an attack on your identification. Attack is thus the way in which your identification, next page, is lost. Because when you attack, you must have forgotten what you are. So this is page 184. Paragraph six says, if you realize the complete havoc this makes on your peace of mind, you could not make such an insane decision. You make it only because you still believe it can get you something you want. The God of Sickness. This is on page 184. I wrote, sickness is our creation, not God's. It seems totally incomprehensible. How can we make ourselves sick? People get sick. That's part of this reality. Is it part of our form? It is part of our form, which is part of us. What if we do create our sickness? What if our preoccupation with form is why we value sickness? Yes, we must value it, or it would not be part of what we created. If you see the God of sickness, you have accepted him. If you accept him, you will listen to him and make him God's replacement. Paragraph one, sentence eight, says the idols are nothing but their worshipers are the sons of gods in sickness. God would have them released from their sickness and return to his mind. He will not limit your power to help them because he has given it to you. Do not be afraid of it because it is your salvation. Paragraph two sentence four says, heal your brothers simply by accepting God for them. Your minds are not separate and God has only one channel for healing because he has but one son. God's remaining communication link with all his children joins them together and then to him. To be aware of this is to heal them because it is the awareness that no one is separate and so no one is sick. On the second page, which is page 185, paragraph 3, sentence 2, love cannot suffer because it cannot attack. The remembrance of love therefore brings invulnerability with it. Sentence 6 says, Would you strengthen his denial of God and thus lose sight of yourself? Or would you remind him of his wholeness and remember your creator with him? Paragraph four, <coughs> sorry, sentence three says, all forms of idolatry are caricatures of creation taught by sick minds 
too divided to know that creation shares power and never usurps it. Sickness is idolatry because it is the belief that power can be taken from you. Yet this is impossible because you are part of God, who is all power. Sentence 7 says, all that is exact... All that is exactly what the ego does perceive in it, in a son of God, a sick God, self-created, self-sufficient, very vicious, and very vulnerable. Is this the idol you would worship? Is this the image you would be vigilant to save? Are you really afraid of losing this? Paragraph 5 says, look calmly at the logical confusion of the ego's thought system and judge whether its offering is really what you want. For this is what it offers you. I'm going to take a quick drink. Paragraph 6, sentence 2 says, God's son knows no idols, but he does know his father. Health is in this world is in the counterpart of value in heaven. It is not by merit that it contribute to you, but by love. For you do not value yourself. When you do not value yourself, you become sick. But by value, you can heal you because the value of God's son is one. When I said my peace I give unto you, I meant it. Peace comes from God through me to you. It is for you, although you may not ask for it. Seven at the very bottom says, when a brother is sick, it is because he is not asking for peace and therefore does not know he has it. The acceptance of peace is, on page 186, the denial of illusion and sickness is an illusion. Sentence four in that same paragraph says, I can heal you because I know you. I know your value for you, and it is this value that makes you whole. A whole mind is not idolatrous and does not know of conflicting laws. Paragraph eight says, I do not bring God's message with deception, and you will learn this as you learn that you always receive as much as you accept. Paragraph nine says, the, very simply then, you may believe you're afraid of nothingness, but you are really afraid of nothing. And in this awareness, you are healed. You will hear the God you listen to. You made the God of sickness, and by making him, you made yourself able to hear him. Yet you did not create him because he did not will. He is not the will of the Father. He is therefore not eternal and will be unmade for you the instant you signify your willingness to accept only the eternal. On the next page, on 187, top of the page 11, chap, paragraph 11, <laughs> only at the altar of God will you find peace, and this altar is in you because God put it there. His voice still calls you to return, and he will be heard when you place no other gods before him. Sentence 5 says, For if you see the God of sickness anywhere, you've accepted him, and if you accept him, you will bow down and worship him because he was made as God's replacement. He is the belief that you can choose which God is real. The next section is called the end of sickness. And I wrote, God created you perfect. You are perfect. If you believe you can be sick, you have placed another God's, God before him. You live in the reality that you're alone and that fear is real. Paragraph one says, all magic is an attempt at reconciling the irreconcilable. All religion is the recognition that the irreconcilable can be reconciled. Sickness and perfection are irreconcilable. If God created you perfect, you are perfect. If you believe you can be sick, 
you have placed other gods before him. God is not at war with the God of sickness you made, but you are. Sentence 8 says, if you attack him, you will make him real to you. But if you refuse to worship him in whatever form he may appear to you, and wherever you think you see him, he will disappear into the nothingness of which he was made. Paragraph 2 says, reality can draw only on an unclouded mind. It is always there to be accepted, but its acceptance depends on your willingness to have it. To know reality must involve the willingness to judge unreality for what it is. To overlook nothingness is merely to judge it correctly and because of your ability to evaluate it truly, to let it go. Knowledge cannot dawn on a mind full of illusions because truth and illusions are irreconcilable. Truth is whole and cannot be known by part of a mind. Paragraph 3, sentence 2, if the sonship is one, it is one in all respects. Oneness cannot be divided. Page 188, paragraph 5, says, You are not free to give up freedom, but only to deny it. You cannot do what God did not intend, because he did not intend, because what he did not intend does not happen. Your gods do not bring chaos. You are endowing them with chaos and accepting it of them. All this has never been. Nothing but the laws of God has ever been. And nothing but his will will ever be. Sentence 10 in that same paragraph says, Reality cannot break through the obstructions you interpose, but it will envelope you completely when you let it go. At the very bottom of that page, paragraph 7 says, the miracle is the act of the Son of God who has laid aside all false gods and calls on his brothers to do likewise. It is an act of faith because it is the recognition that his brother can do it. It is a call to the Holy Spirit in his mind, a call that is strengthened by joining. Because the miracle worker has heard God's voice, he strengthens it, strengthens it in his sick brother by weakening his belief in sickness, which he does not share. The power of one mind can shine into another because all the lamps of God were lit by the same spark. It is everywhere and it is eternal. Paragraph 8, sentence 3 says, If you but see the little spark, you will learn the greater light, for the rays are there unseen. Perceiving the spark will heal, but knowing the light will create. Yet in the returning, the little light must be acknowledged first. For the separation was a descent from magnitude to littleness. The next part is called the denial of God. I wrote, to deny your creator is to deny your own identity. Allegiance to the denial of God is the ego's religion. The God of sickness obviously demands the denial of health because health is in direct opposition to its own survival. God has given you the means to undo what you have made. Listen, and you will learn how to remember what you are. Paragraph one says, the rituals of the God of sickness are strange and very demanding. Joy is never permitted, for depression is a sign of allegiance to him. Depression means that you have forsworn God. Many are afraid of blasphemy, but they do not understand what it means. They do not realize that to deny God is to deny their own identity, and it is, and in this sense, the wages of sin is death. The sense is very literal. Denial of life perceives its opposite, a 
as all forms of denial replace what is with what is not. Paragraph 2 says, Do not forget, however, that to deny God will inevitably result in projection, and you will believe that others, you believe that others and not yourself have done this to you. You must receive the message you give because it is the message you want. You may believe that you judge your brothers by the messages they give you, but you have judged them by the messages you gave to them. The next page is page 190, and it's paragraph 5 I went to. It says, I said before, that of yourself, you can do nothing, but you can not, but you are not of yourself. If you were, what you have made would be true, and you could never escape. It is because you did not make yourself that you need be troubled over nothing. Sentence six in that same paragraph says, if creation is sharing, it cannot create what is unlike itself. It can share only what it is. Depression is isolation, and so it could not have been created. Paragraph six says, son of God, you have not sinned, but you have been much mistaken. Yet this can be corrected and God will help you. Sentence five in that paragraph says, remember that what you deny you must have once known, and if you accept denial, you can accept its undoing. Paragraph seven says, your father has not denied you. He does not retaliate, but he does call to you to re return. When you think he has not answered your call, you have not answered his. On the next page, page 190, paragraph eight, sentence three, you are not sick and you cannot die but you can confuse yourself with things that do. Remember though that to do this is blasphemy for it means that you are looking without love on God and his creation from which he cannot be separated. Paragraph nine says only the eternal can be loved for love does not die. Sentence five in that same paragraph says if you accept yourself as God created you, you will be incapable of suffering. Yet to do this, you must acknowledge him as your creator this is not because you will be punished otherwise. It is merely because your acknowledgement of your father is acknowledgement of yourself as you are. Your father created you wholly without sin, wholly without pain, and wholly without suffering of any kind. If you deny him, you bring sin, pain, and suffering into your own mind because of the power he gave it. Your mind is capable of creating worlds, but it, is also, but it can also deny what it creates because... It is free. Go to the next page, which is page 192. At the top of the page, sentence six says, God has given you the means for undoing what you have made. Listen, and you will learn how to remember what you are. Paragraph 12 says, if God knows his children as wholly sinless, it is blasphemous to perceive them as guilty. If God knows his children is holy without pain, it is blasphemous to perceive suffering anywhere. If God knows his children to be wholly joyous, it is blasphemous to feel depressed. All of these illusions and the many other forms that blasphemy may take are refusals to accept creation as it is. If God created his son perfect, that is how you must learn to see him to learn of his reality. And as part of the sonship, that is how you must see yourself to learn of yours. Paragraph 14 says, Arrogance is the denial of love because love shares and arrogance withholds. Sentence 6 says, Time itself is your choice. If you, 
would remember eternity, you must look only on the eternal. If you allow yourself to become preoccupied with the temporal, you are living in time. As always, your choice is determined by what you value. Time and eternity cannot both be real because they contradict each other. If you will accept only what is timeless as real, you will begin to understand eternity and make it yours. That is the end of chapter 10. Told you it was a shorter chapter. This, uh, a friend once described this book as a sledgehammer of knowledge on who we truly are. It is very blunt about what our mistakes and errors in this world are. It is clear on how the ego works and how invested it is in making this world real for us. The idea that we create our sickness seems crazy, seemed crazy to me at first. Then when you are told that stress and emotional trauma is where most of our sickness comes from, then it starts to connect. Our past and future, both which do not exist in the now, are a huge source of stress and distress in our lives. We hold on to hurts and losses like idols we worship, then wonder why we are sick. There's more to come. This is a journey. Hope you are finding your way. Have a fabulous week. And until next week, always love, Denise.